Coming up, Michael Rooker talks about working with Baby Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and we go along with Jason Connery, director of Tommy's Honor. When I was about 14, I played in this match, and I was so angry at myself, but my father had said to me, if you ever throw the clubs, you can't play for a month. So I couldn't do that, and I was so frustrated, I actually punched myself in the forehead and knocked myself out. A lot of stuff in these movies with a lot of CGI like this requires your imagination to be fertile and, and, and open and ripe for seating, you know. This is where your father shot Goldfinger and the whole scene with the golf ball where, you know, he accuses uh, 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 Goldfinger of cheating in, in essence. Uh, and, um, and then odd job where my father gives the ball back, crushes the ball and then throws his hat, which has a metal rim and it takes the head off the statue. Of course, that's still there. And he showed it to me and he said, I had to keep putting the, the head back on after the, <laughs> after the shot. I see baby Groot. Yeah. And he's walking over here and he's sopping wet. He's dripping water. Yeah. They've been really cruel to him. He looks like, you know, my, 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 what have they done to you? He was head gra uh, greenskeeper at, at St. Andrews uh, in uh, for 50 years and he was never allowed in the clubhouse. Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I know it's wet and soppy outside, nice and warm and dry in here. Come on in, curl up by the fireplace, pour yourself a Negroni, and enjoy the conversations. A little bit later on, he of the famous last name, a director, a writer, an actor in his own right, Jason Connery, son of Sean Connery. It has to be mentioned, but it's not going to be dwelled on. Uh, we'll be by to talk about his new golf movie, Tommy's Honor. First up, though, I want to tell you a little bit about a movie that I saw and really enjoyed the hell out of, even though I'm kind of getting sick of superhero movies. Anything with a cape kind of, you know, makes me quiver a little bit before going into the theater. I'm developing an attitude about them. But Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 opens with a battle scene that really probably wouldn't be out of place in almost any other superhero movie. The setup has the Guardians, and it's everyone that you expect. Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, uh, Dave Bautista, Bradley Cooper, and they're working for these gold-skinned creatures called the Sovereigns, and they're a race of aliens who have hired the heroes to protect valuable batteries from an interdimensional monster. So far, same kind of thing that we've seen a million times. The action is as wild and as woolly as we've come to expect from these big CGI extravaganzas, but the thing that sets this scene apart from all other superhero movies is the sheer, unbridled joy brought to the screen by Baby Groot. He's a, a, a tree-like being, he's too small to take part in the fight, so instead he blissfully dances throughout to Mr. Blue Sky, the lush, Beatlesque ELO song that underscores the entire sequence. The movie and the scene brim with this missing element. It's the missing element that so many other big superhero movies just forget about, and that's fun. I enjoyed that first 10 minutes of that movie as much as I've enjoyed anything in a movie theater for a very long time. It's joyful. It's fun. So what better way to spend an afternoon recently than talking to Michael Rooker? You know Michael Rooker from Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, from The Walking Dead, now as Yondu from 
the Guardian of the Galaxy movies. He is the blue-skinned man, sort of looks like a reject from the blue man group a little bit, who has the deadly arrow that he controls with his whistles. We talk about that stuff a little bit later on. Uh, I sat down with him. Here's just a, a, a short snippet of my conversation with Yondu, Michael Rooker, from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Is it uh, a different kind of acting, or is it just another discipline? When it's you're another. Stuff, di- it's yeah. another discipline. It's. Yeah. It's matter of fact. It's. It's more akin to your your core basic acting skills. Right. Because a lot of stuff in these movies with a lot of CGI like this requires your imagination to be fertile and 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 open and ripe for seeding. You know, and if, if and if that is not working for you, technically it's going to be okay. okay. You can still get through the scene and stuff, but I I'm like, nah, man, I see Baby Groot. <laughs> yeah. And he's walking over here and he's sopping wet. He's dripping water. Yeah. They've been really cruel to him. He looks like, you know, my 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 what have they done to you you know that stuff yeah yeah so and rocket as well rocket and i had a lot of scenes together and baby groot and i had you know we yeah. all all three of us i talk to them as if they're other yeah right now <laughs> as if they're all two two other characters you know yeah. and i think the audience will leave the theater with that in mind too they're going to be thinking of these two as real characters well, and, someone and has so suggested that's to happen, me that they might do, you know, a sequel that's, that's just Rocket and Baby Groot, but it would be animated. I'm like, no, it can't be animated. The, mm, the, no. the joy of it is, is that, that it seems kind of real. It's yeah. real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it's too, and that stuff is still out of our reach to do a whole ser- a whole yeah. thing yeah. on. Uh, the CGI is very expensive stuff yeah, to do. I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your fins real? All the that. The fin like, is like. It's it's a practical fin. Yeah. It's on my head. The makeup team did that, and but the 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 light that radiates right. from it as I'm whistling is all CGI. Oh stuff. right, so that's it because I'm getting hot. And the arrow, yeah. but I have a physical arrow. Do you have a little arrow you take around to fan appearances? <laughs> yeah, right. No. Loser mind, you came up there oh, with no an arrow. No kidding, no kidding. I do, although I have an arrow, you know, it's really cool to have the uh, have the arrow. Oh, the from the movie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, from the movie, they uh, ended up giving me the arrow. That's cool. Oh, really, really cool, man. I dug it. And James Gunn says, "Listen, yeah, look at uh, Michael Rooker's going to win an Academy Award." <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see about that, bro. You know, but I'm I'm up for anything. James Gunn, you know, he's a cool dude, my buddy, and and uh, man, oh man, what a what a wonderful job he's done. I'm so proud of him. Young guy, uh, he's, and he's beautiful, doing it. And, and you know, just he uses his imagination too so much. You know, doing these, doing the writing. Yeah, he draws his stuff, his vision of what he wants to see, what it, what he wants it to be like. And, you know, same as the actor, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so. Who knows? Maybe Michael Rooker will be nominated for an Academy Award for playing Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He is the emotional core of that film. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of that interview didn't actually make it into the podcast. I asked him about 
creating Yondu for the screen. What were the first conversations like with James Gunn? He talks about, you know, being painted blue and the red fin and all that kind of thing. And I said, well, looking back on it now, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what do you think? He says, man, I'm just so glad I was able to whistle. Because, of course, whistling is how Yondu controls his sound sensory controlled arrow. It is the thing that makes the character unique. It's the thing that people walk out remembering. And that whistle kept Michael Rooker employed for a couple of movies. It'll be really interesting to see what happens to him next. Next up, we have Jason Connery. Sean Connery is his father. There, that's out of the way. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the interview. But we're, today we're talking about his new film. It's called Tommy's Honor. Now, long before Sergio Garcia, Tiger Woods, and Arnold Palmer became the people most associated with the game of golf, a father and son team were the most famous names on the fairway. Tommy's Honor lionizes Tom Morris, known as Old Tom and played by Peter Mullen, and Tommy Morris, appropriately known here as Young Tom, played by Jack Loudon, as the founders of the modern game. Young Tom was one of the first superstar athletes, the first to demand to be paid for his abilities, one of the first to strike out on his own. He's a very significant figure, not only in golf, but in the entirety of the sports world. Now, I don't know anything about golf. I've never touched a golf club, so I had to start the interview with Jason Connery asking about golf. Why is it so popular? Why do people play it? I just don't get it. Now, if you are a golfer, You'll find it interesting, his answer, I think, and you'll understand it. If you're not a golfer, though, I think it's fascinating. It's a glimpse into the head of someone who, uh, you know, likes to play golf. I don't know how to put it other than that. Here's my chat with Jason Connery. We have to talk about golf. Yes. You are a golfer. You're a golf fan. How long have you been playing golf? Well, I've been playing since I was probably about, uh, let me see, about eight uh, really? Know, my, Were yeah. you interested at age eight? Did you say, man, I got to get me a set of clubs and get out there? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I didn't know really what it was about. It was more like my father cut off a, a seven iron that cut the shaft down and I, and I would stand there and sort of smack the ball about. And, right. uh, you know, it was, um, it was just a game that I didn't really understand or, or, or really have that much interest in, but I knew my dad did. And of course that was interesting to me. And, uh, if I hit a good shot, it seemed to impress him, which is, you know, right. as a, as a, as a son, you want to impress your dad. And we should mention, and I'm not going to harp on this, but your dad, Sean Connery, yes. and he was probably away a lot making films and things. So if you got to spend some time on the, the, the golf course with him, probably a pretty special day. That's exactly right. I, I, I did then become his caddy for a while, okay. uh, which was interesting because when he was playing well, it was actually quite fun. But when he was playing badly, you know, there was very, <laughs> a lot of long silences and, and glares. But um that was that was and then and then I started really playing the game uh, and I really do enjoy it and I've had some wonderful times with my dad on the golf course uh, and in fact with my whole family my stepmother Michelin and my dad met actually having won a tournament in Morocco yeah and they had the first dance together and they've been married for forty years now or something yeah, more than that's that, right I think. yeah yeah, yeah. and um, you know she's very avid golfer too and my brother Stefan um, and uh, and I play a lot in fact. Uh, we're going 
um, uh, going down to to Kiwar Island to play together, which will be really fun. Um, I, you know, it, it's that thing where I, I really like people, I like stories, I like hearing about their lives. And when you walk a golf course, it's a wonderful time. I know that some people think it's a good walk ruin, <laughs> but it's a wonderful time to just talk, you know, and just uh, uh, talk back and forth. And then, you, you know, you get to the ball, you hit it. Uh, you know, in some ways, it's not like any other sport, you know. It's not like uh, 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 anybody playing against you. You're really playing against yourself, which can get in your head, that's for sure. Well, tell me then. We, so last night, we hosted a, a screening, a little private screening of the film right. for people who were golfers. There were yes. a lot of golfers there. And I said to you afterwards, I don't under, I don't know golf. I don't play golf. Uh, tell me now what it is. You've mentioned there's a social aspect to it. People like to walk around, they get to talk, they get right. to know one another. But what is it about the game that keeps, I mean, it's so enormously popular. And people last night were kind of, they treated it almost like a religion. Right. Well, it's an interesting thing. I, I think it's because of the fact that it, 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 you're standing there and it's like looking in the mirror because you are trying to get the ball in the hole. And it's very emasculating when you hit a bad shot. You know, you stand up there, you wind up with the driver, you hope to hit it because you see, you know, the pros hitting it. You hope to hit it, you know, a huge distance. And sometimes it goes shooting off to the side (laughs) and you feel like a fool. But also when you do hit a good shot, there's something about it where it's almost like a reflection of you. And then you, you know, it's a very unfair game in some respects in the sense that you can hit a great shot, it can have a bad bounce and suddenly it's unplayable, or you can hit a terrible shot, hits a tree, bounces off and suddenly in the middle of the fairway. So in like life a little bit, you don't really know what it's going to deal you. And then you try to do the best you can. And, you know, I used to get really angry. I used to get really angry when I played well, uh, played badly. Uh, In fact, um, it's deeply embarrassing that I did this but when I was about 14 I played in this match and I was so angry at myself but my father had said to me if you ever throw the clubs you can't play for a month so I couldn't do that and I was so frustrated I actually punched myself in the forehead and knocked (laughs) myself out that was what I did to myself over this game. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was ridiculous. That's and like hockey. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> if just... If you grew up here, you would have been in hockey fights. <laughs> right. Okay. So I was fighting myself. And that's, in a way, what the game is. You're kind of fighting against... You know, Jack Nicholas said that um, when he played uh, or when he was playing at, at his best, it was when he had an image in his mind right before he hit the ball of a book. And then he would turn the page of the book and there would be an empty page and then he'd hit the ball. Now, when I turn the page, there's about 14,000 things that are things like, don't go left. Oh, my God, there's water on the right. Now, you don't want to go in the bunker. And did I leave the gas on? And have I paid my insurance? And what was, it? Oh, and what was that guy's name? And then I hit the ball. And usually it goes off in, you know. And, and that's the thing about golf. It, 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 a lot of it, people say, is, uh, you know, the, that, that bit of gray matter between your ears. And that's what can affect you. And, that, you know, the, the top 100 players are exactly the same ability. It's, mm-hmm. it's whether they have the belief. 
I'm speaking with Jason Connery. His film that he directed is called Tommy's Honor. It's in theaters right now, and it's the story of a father and uh, a son duo that changed the history of modern golf, and we'll talk all about that. I just want to set the stage a little right. bit here in this first segment, talking yes. about golf. Your dad's partner was Jack Nicholas. Yeah. Was he not playing golf? So you learn from the best. Well, I, I, you know, I didn't play with Jack Nicholas, but uh, my father used to do this thing up in um, Glen Eagles, which is in uh, north of Scotland, beautiful hotel, and we used to go there every year for ten years. And I always remember it being sunny, so I must have a very romantic <laughs> recollection because it's never sunny in well, right. it's sunny in Scotland, but certainly not every day. Yeah. And over those ten years, you know, I met some amazing pros that my father played with in these pro celebrity games, and also, you know. We, we got to know everyone at the hotel, and um, it was just just the most wonderful 10 days. We were, you know, we ate fantastic food. We played golf. I remember I went fishing with my, with my brother, Stefan, and we were on a boat, <laughs> and we were using a fly. Neither of us had any idea, and we were back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he cast, and he was already pulling the, 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 the rod back to recast, and a fish grabbed it but he was already putting <laughs> and when we reeled it in he had the fish's top lip on the on yeah. the hook because he'd yanked it out of its own and we're wondering about this poor fish swimming yeah. around with no top lip but um you know it was uh, the memories i have of that time were fantastic and i i uh, in fact just the other day we were talking to dad about it and uh, we went out and played about six weeks ago and i'm talking to uh, chris who was at that showing chris goodwin right. the other night and uh, he said, you know, uh, your dad had a hole in one the other day. I'm like, are you kidding At me? At 87 years old. 86. He'll be 87 in, in August. But 80, 86 years old, he had a hole in one, and it's his fifth. I've never had a hole in one. It's so <laughs> annoying. You know, but he's, he's you know, plugging away. So um, And it keeps the mental acuity going. Yeah, I guess exactly. It's physical and the mental acuity. Yeah. And do you think then... That someone like Tiger Woods, after the the big scandal, he's never played the same. And yeah. it's because that perhaps, he, as you talked about the gray matter, it, he's just unable to focus in the same way? Well, look, only Tiger knows that. And believe yeah. me, there are better pundits than me that know more about his, you know, kind of circumstance than I do. But honestly, I think that there's no question that that had an effect on him. No question. Um, you know, and psychologically, I mean, I think that, you know, you take uh, Mike Tyson, you know, when he was beaten, uh, you know, or when he felt his own vulnerability, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it gets in your head. And I think, I mean, boxing's a different sport, but, but with golf, certainly, you're standing there, it's all quiet, you know, and you've got, m you know, millions of people looking at you. And if you don't have the right mindset, uh, you know, you can question things. I mean, the, the fact that the guy, you know, sort of ch chili dipping chip shots yeah. by the green, when you've seen the, the, one of the great chippers of all time, you know, that's nothing to do with physical that's to do with mental, I think. Well, it's what you said, I, I found earlier, you said, or uh, said, I found it interesting earlier when you said, uh, everyone's about the same ability. Yeah. It's all about the, the yeah. thought process at that point. And the belief. I mean, mm -hmm. all of these guys have uh, uh, psychologists that they work with, and they all have a mental uh, program that they do to, to envisage, and whatever works for them, the ball going in the hole. I mean, that's the aim. You know, when they stand over a putt, because, uh, you know, the putting is the thing. I mean, mm -hmm. it's great that someone can hit the, the, you know, the drive 360 yards, but, you know, it doesn't work if you don't get the ball in the hole. Five years ago, you get a phone call. 
Yeah. And you've been directing only for about a year or so at that point, right? You've you've been a little, a little longer, but yeah, yeah. probably probably two two years. Yeah. And so uh, you get a phone call and saying, "Listen, we've got this this story, Scottish story, where you went to school there. This might be perfect for you. We know you're an avid golfer. What was it about it that grabbed your interest?" Yeah, I, I got a cold call from a guy called Jim Kreutzer, who's the uh, producer on the movie, and he bought the rights to the book, and he talked about wanting to make it into a film, and would I read it? And I was a little embarrassed because I knew about Tom Morris. I didn't know at all anything about his son, right. and I read it in one sitting, and it was it just blew me away. I, I, first of all, I couldn't believe nobody had picked up the idea of this, this story. Um, and, 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 of course, the initial idea was, wow, this is very viscerally different from the golf we know today. I right. mean, this is working class men who um, were, had a passion for something that didn't have anything like you know, the numbers that they do now, but were championed by these local towns and they would play and they would play for money and there would be a lot of gambling. So these working class guys had a, uh, that, were, that were betting on the, uh, their heroes had a vested interest in the outcome. I'm and <laughs> we, we talked about this a little bit last time when we were, when we were discussing things. The betting is extreme. Yes. They would bet a week's salary. They That's would bet, right. I mean, like a lot of money. Yeah, for them. And also uh, the gentlemen would set up the matches and yeah. they would be making lots of money too. Yeah. And so, um, you know, reading this was like, wow, I, you know, I felt like it was almost a gateway into the game. Um, and I, I uh, you know, I had these images and what I was hoping to do was was show that. That, that that closeness and how, you know, they would kick the ball, they would shout in your face, there would be <laughs> fights. I mean there were fights and they were and they were documented, well documented, and newspaper articles of where, you know, there was a massive fight in the bunker, which is in the film in, in, in Musselboro. In fact we shot uh, in the bunker right. where the fight actually took place. And then Tom was you know, what's going on? And he took his son and they walked into the pub, which is called Mrs. Foreman's, which is still there by the way, yeah. um, and had a dram and waited for this to, to die down. Waited for the fight to, to die over. down. Yes, so it could carry on. <laughs> and um, But yes, so reading the book, I was thinking of this and all those images and the ideas of the crowd and, 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 and such. And then as I read on, I read about this, this really intense and beautiful um, relationship between old Tom and his son. And it was a difficult one because generationally, Tom really understood the world and the status quo and, and his place in it. This is old Tom. Yeah, and old, old Tom, Tom. Was, a, was a groundskeeper. He was a caddy. He yeah. was someone who was involved in the game, but because of the caste system, the class system, he was never going to be, he was never going to wear a top hat standing on the side of the of the. Well, not only green that, hands. he was head gra uh, greenskeeper at, at St. Andrews uh, in uh, for 50 years, and he was never allowed in the clubhouse. Yeah. And he, um, uh, he made golf balls. He made golf clubs. If you go to St. Andrews to this day, you walk down the Lynx Road, there's Tom Morris's shop. It's right there. And they have a lot of his clubs and stuff there. And, and, and ironically, um, as a young man, a uh, very young man, he, was, uh, he did an internship with a guy called Alan Robertson, and there was a feathery ball that they made. Uh, it was very popular, but it was very hard to make. You would boil feathers. Uh, you'd stuff them into a sort of leather pouch. Right. And you, you had this harness on your chest. And uh, they had a spike, and you held the ball in this harness on your chest, and then you pushed these boiled <laughs> feathers into the ball more and more and more. If you missed, you could stab yourself in the chest. Yeah. In fact, old Tom was very broad and very strong in his upper body because of doing this, because you could only make three a day because it took so long. 
And along came this Malaysian rubber tree, which had this rubber that sap that came out of it. And they would be sent these blocks and they would boil it up and they'd put it into a mold and then they'd close it. And then they found out that if they let it stay uh, completely smooth, it didn't cut through the air as well. And so they scored it with a knife and then they painted it white. Well, Alan Robinson found out that old Tom, who'd been playing with a gentleman who had run out of the featheries and started using the gutter percha, that's what it was called, right. and fired him on the spot. If he hadn't have done that, then he would never have got to St. Andrews eventually. Right. Anyway, all that to say, old Tom was very much understanding of, right, the gentlemen had their place, and as long as I play my cards right, I can, I can live my life fully. I got 50 pounds a year for being the head greenskeeper. They gave me a house. It's all cushy, as they say in England. <laughs> uh, young Tommy was like, why, Dad? Yeah. Why, why do you let them do that? You know, why do you show the people respect who haven't earned it? And, of course, that kind of talk for old Tom was very scary. And he, and he was worried for his son. And so that relationship, you know, I'm a father to a 19-year-old, and, of course, I'm a son to my father. And, um, you know, it really resonated with me. And then there's a, another part of the story. Uh, there's the, the strength of the church in the local community, which is very powerful too. And this love story between young Tommy and his wife-to-be, Meg, um, and a tragic story but also just beautiful in, 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 and, and very different from the relationship between old Tom and his wife, Nancy. We were talking about how this is a very human story. The, the, the scandalized girlfriend, soon to be wife, rejected by the family, and yet young Tom still goes for her. And uh, the, the idea that the upper class gentlemen were sort of ruling the game, keeping the money away from the people that were actually playing the game. These elements of the story came from two different people, though, really. I mean, they, they are historically accurate, but you were writing with a husband and wife team, and you found an interesting dynamic between yes. them. Well, um, Kevin Cook originally wrote the book in 2007, and it's called Tommy's Honor, and it uh, won a number of accolades and is, is generally sort of recognized as a, a really good read. And um, it's been interesting people coming to the film and talking to me having read the book. Right. Um, and he's a lovely man, Kevin, and um, was completely open to the fact that, you know, it's a very different medium film to a book. Right. And so um, we worked very hard at, uh, at, at creating the historical accuracy. But um, we also had Kevin's wife, whose name is Pamela Marin, who's a really talented writer and um, uh, really gets drama. And has no interest in gold, ironically. <laughs> yeah. And um, doesn't really understand why her husband is so enamored with the game. But that being said, they're a very good team. And I sort of felt like I was in the middle, um, you know, and, and, and uh, one day it would be sort of all about the drama of young Tommy going into the RNA and, and confronting the gentleman, you know, and then, and then the next uh, day would be, you know, about, well, did we get the timing right on when this happened? And, you know, because it's, it, it is important is, you know, it's, it, it's the backdrop of, of these people's lives. But when you're talking about real people, you, you, you know, you feel as though you, you definitely want to get it right. There's a responsibility. There to, is a responsibility. There, there, there must be relatives there must be well, people. And also there's the RNA, right. you know, the yeah. Royal and Ancient. I mean, yeah. that we, we went and saw them and it was such a l interesting meeting because we went and saw there's a man called Peter Crabtree's head of the uh, of the Heritage Society. And 
you know, he looked at me with a sort of wry smile. He said, I read your script. You know, this is down the road. Yeah, yeah. And I said, good, I hope you enjoyed it. He said, yes, I did enjoy it. She was really quite good. I said, well, thank you very much. He said, um, I, can't, uh, I can't back the script in the sense of I'm from the Heritage Society and there are things in here that we can't say happen because nobody knows and also because right. there's no historical uh, uh, thing to suggest that it did happen. And I said, listen... You and I, Peter, are never go we're coming from different places. You're coming from the place of a document, a historical, accurate document. And I'm coming from a place of an entertaining film. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're absolutely right. He said, I will go and see the film, and I'm sure that I will enjoy it. But I'm not going to say that we, you know, that we say that everything in it that is absolutely endorse true. it. Endorse yeah. it, exactly. The irony of this is that since he's seen it, and he came up to me, we opened the Edinburgh Film Festival. Right. Uh, which was just a fantastic evening, I have to and say. And won a Scottish BAFTA for Best Film. Best, that's right. Uh, I'll that's mention right. it if you won't. No, if you're too well, modest you, to mention it. <laughs> um, it's sitting actually in my uh, in my in my TV room. Really? Uh, and I had to rip it from the claws of the producer <laughs> who was desperately trying to disappear with it. Um, but uh, yes, and 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 um, it was just. Uh, now I forgot my. But when he he went to see the film, he wouldn't endorse it, but he yes, went to see the film. Went to see the film, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, um, "Wow, I really, really enjoyed that." And now I find out that the RNA have booked a cinema, the entire cinema, to yeah. show their members. Right. So it's it's been a really nice sort of uh, path in that way, and actually in the film. They gave us, the RNA, many photographs that we didn't have. And also uh, they gave us the, um, the architectural drawings of the original building of the RNA, which we used to build uh, our version of the RNA. Yeah, because things are different now. So yeah. the, the the lawns or the lawns, the, the grounds are much more manicured than they Absolutely. used to be, I think. Uh, the, I would just imagine that the surroundings are different. There's yes. probably taller buildings and things. So uh, when I was looking at this, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, the, how lovely that they found all these locations. But I, I, I imagine they had to fiddle around with things quite a bit, computer-generated, remove tall buildings, remove all that kind of thing, which I don't think of in a movie like this. But there must have been some of that. There was indeed. Uh, we were very lucky that, that originally I th uh, thought, well, we could shoot at the RNA and we'll digitally remove it. It's, it's had sides added. It's had a roof is right. extended up. It's got a big patio out the front. You know, And then I realized there's cars. And then just looking at the, at the fairway and the green, I mean, it is absolutely perfect. It looks like the carpet we have in here. Right. And uh, actually, if you get down your hands and knees and look across it, you cannot see a blade of grass that's taller than another one. I mean, it's quite amazing. Wow. Now, in old Tom's day, they used to cut the greens with sheep. So you're never really <laughs> going to quite get that carpet look, if you know what I mean. Um, and so uh, what happened was we, we, we went looking for a field by the sea, because obviously St. Andrews is yeah. by the sea. It's a lynx course. And uh, we searched and searched and searched, and it actually got a bit frightening because we, it, 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 right at the very end, we found this place that had actually been earmarked to be a golf course, and it had never happened. And uh, ironically, it was one of uh, Donald Trump's. Uh, yes, well, Turnbury was right. one of them, which is Donald Trump's, and 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 uh, Glen Eagles, where I yeah. played as a young boy. And then there was this one it was called Balcaris Estate. And it was it, it was actually covered in cows, so we had to get rid of those, not rid of them, yes. but move them on. Uh, and uh, we moved some earth, and we built half the RNA, and uh, the other half is digital. And we did the same. Lynx Road, it was massive 40-foot green screens. In fact, there's a, a, um, a half-hour making of on tommyzonor.com 
which actually shows, uh, shows this, uh, uh, the set and things. We built the green and we built the tee-off area, the fairway, and Swilcomburn with the bridge, which is a very famous, for any golfer, you know, it's Swilcomburn. Anyway, we, we did that, and, and um, you know, ironically, it looked fantastic, and then ironically, the day we started shooting, two massive oil rigs floated <laughs> into uh, the area there, right where we were shooting for maintenance. Yeah. And it was like, really? <laughs> anyway, we had to digitally remove those. Uh, but it wasn't difficult, so that was all right. But, um, yeah, that's what we did there. And then with the, with the, with the, you know, the golf course, it was exactly the same. They're all very manicured, and they're beautiful, but they were too manicured. And so, luckily, uh, the courses we, we spoke to were so open. And they said, I said, can you not cut the grass for three weeks? And they said, you know, absolutely. And so I used the rough as the fairway and the fairway as the greens. Yeah. And then I messed it up a bit more than that as well. And, I was, you know, it, 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 I feel that it, it's a good representation. I'm speaking with Jason Connery. The film is called Tommy's Honor. It's in theaters right now. There's a lot of photographic documentation, though. So when we see Jack Loudon and uh, others playing golf, we're seeing a style of golf that was documented because people had cameras back then and they took loads of pictures, which somebody held on to. Especially in St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. I mean, for some reason, St. Andrews had three very prolific uh, photographers. And uh, in fact, we have one of them in the film, but but um, not the real guy, but yeah, the guy yeah. playing him. Um, and yeah, we had so much. To, and there was a guy who's a, uh, called Jim Farmer, who's the honorary uh, uh, member, professional member of, of the RNA. And he's just a golf guy who loves golf and he loves the history and he had all these photographs and he found photographs he went to the rna and got them and we saw there's no film of um uh, moving film of either of them but we saw um pictures literally as tom was making his swing or tommy uh in every position i mean actually tommy tom's tommy swing the younger uh is very specific he lifts his knee very early it's it's a he winds it up it's a bit like john daly he winds up where the club face is pointing at the ground and then it sort of unfurls like a spring you know in a watch he used to um snap the, the, the hickory shafts quite often because there was so much talk going through as a wow. young man. And he was only a wiry guy, but he... A, a young wiry guy. He died when he was 24, so he was yes. yeah, a young man. And he... And he uh, he the, the, that stage, these days, is the highest you can get is a par five. and uh, uh, But at that stage, there was a par six, and it was 620 yards long, and uh, Tommy did it in three. <laughs> I would argue, and I, I hope you'll agree, that young Tom, who was a working-class golf prodigy, uh, who said, you know, I deserve to be making more of this money. We've got thousands of people coming here to watch this game, and you want to give me uh, three pounds at the end of it? I want more. I would argue that maybe uh, after winning the equivalent of the British Open three times, no one's done it since, uh, that he is the first superstar athlete. I would agree. I would agree. And, and, and not only that, he also had a sense of his own worth. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, you know, for instance, uh, in the North Berwick game, 
9,000 people came to, to watch that game. And they, they walked there from their work very often. And, uh, and, and as we talked about earlier, they, 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 they would gamble their entire mm-hmm. week's wage. And they were coming to see Tommy. And he looked at that and said, well, wait a minute. You're setting up these matches. You're taking all the money. You're taking all the credit, and you're taking, uh, you know, uh, basically money away from me when everybody's coming to see me play. Yeah. And he was the first person to do that. He was the first person to say, "Well, I think I should get a percentage or a piece of the action because, you know, otherwise I won't play, and then nobody will come." So uh, he did have a real sense of his own. Um, worth and interestingly, um, when I was writing with the writers that I spoke of earlier, Kevin and, and Pamela, um, we had a quote that was, and we—I'm not sure where this quote came from, but it was: um, "Every new idea starts as a blasphemy." Right. And you know, I—I I, to me that's so true. And I think you know, for old Tom, it was so difficult to hear young Tommy and the way he was thinking, and also for the gentleman. There's a scene in the movie. I certainly didn't want to vilify the gentleman, but I, you know, they felt like, well, this is the way the world is. World is. What are you doing? What are you talking about? You want a piece of the action? And sort of embodied by Sam Neill right. in the film as Boothby, right? And so, you know, um, it, it, it's there's a number of things that Tommy does. He also says, well, I don't want to make golf clubs. I don't want to make golf balls, and I don't want to design courses. Which up until that time was the only way you could survive, or you had another job. You know, Willie Park uh, had another job. And also Mungo, who's his brother, who he used to play, and they had some great matches. He went off and was a fisherman for years and came back. Um, so, you know, it, it you couldn't survive as a professional golfer without doing something else. And Tommy said, well, that, but that's what I want to do. I just want to play golf. I don't need to do any of those other things. And he also said, well, how about if we stage our own matches? How about if we stage our own matches? Not only that, but we travel around the country staging our own matches first golfing tour you yeah. know tour player and uh, you know that's the kind of uh, way he was thinking he you know the victorians would gamble on anything and and they loved the idea of pitting two people from different you know different sports or or different parts of society or whatever and so you know there's a famous match where tommy as a golfer was playing an archer against an archer who's a uh, who's a great archer and uh they literally <laughs> they were literally playing to you know how far the where the ball would go further than the arrow right. and then nearer to the hole and during the match tommy's looking at the archer who's wandering around with with his his arrows in a quiver uh, over his back and he's looking at his brother who's caddying for him who's got nine clubs in his hand and it's cold you know and the guy's right. hand has to hold the clubs all the time and they keep falling to the floor or he's trying to to get them out and Tommy's thinking to himself why well, we should have a golf quiver which eventually became the golf bag and you know it's just things like that yeah. when, you, when when people who who don't know golf and let's be fair you know golf is a very polarizing game it's mm-hmm. either you love it or you hate it uh, you know, they've watched the movie and have come to say, I had no interest in golf, but I never realized. And to me, that is a sort of gateway to going, OK, I, I kind of have an understanding now where it comes from. And, and that's interesting to me. And so I'm hoping that that's how people who don't play golf, who come and see the film, because you do have, as you said earlier, so many emotional uh, and I think universal themes in the film. Jason Connery is my guest. The movie is called Tommy's Honor. Would have been interesting to see what would have happened with young Tom Morris had he not died at age 24. I mean, this is a very accomplished guy 
and a very young guy when he passed away. Who knows what would have happened with him? Well, I think also he was a guy who it came easy to. I mean, right. not 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 life, but 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 golf. I mean, you know, you have people who 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 just have an affinity with the sport, and everybody thinks. It's amazing they have this gift, but because it comes to them somewhat easily, it doesn't have uh, that that um, that hold on them um, because right. they and and I really feel like uh, Tommy had had the ability to do many things and certainly look at life from a perspective of what can we change mm-hmm. and. I, every time the film ends and I'm and I see it, I, I always feel apart from I mean, he died on Christmas Day at 24, and I and I think what could he have done? He could, I think he could have done some amazing things. It's a bit like you know Oscar Wilde. You know what plays would he have written? And uh, it's it, it. I mean, it's very sad whenever yeah. anybody of real talent or anybody I suppose yeah. dies early. Um, you know, and in saying that, old Tom outlasted his entire family, yeah. um, you know, including his grandchildren. The average life expectancy was 43 at that time. And if you, you know, the, many children die before the age of five. Right. Um, old Tom was 86. He died in kind of, I yes. mean, I won't say a spectacular way, but it, I mean, it's sort of a, an odd way to go. It is. I mean, for a man of such sort of... Uh, uh, I mean, he he really was an extraordinary man in his own way. Um, very self-effacing, and 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 I don't think aware at all of the legacy that he was to leave. Um, but yes, he 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 wasn't allowed in the RNA. He was never allowed to be a member, and so he was a member of the St Andrews Golf Club, which is still there, right. and it overlooks the 18th and the first. And he used to sit drinking a pint. We had a dog called Silver uh, every day in the afternoon as people came in, and they'd all wave at him and. He, and he would watch them uh, come in, and he, you know, got up to go to the bathroom. He took the wrong door. He took the door to the cellar when they were next to each other, and he took a header and 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 fell down the stairs, and and that was him. I mean, just so sad. So sad after yeah. the storied career. Uh, I'm speaking with Jason Connery. The film is called Tommy's Honor in theaters right now. Uh, check it out. As I said earlier, not. Uh, strictly a golf movie. We've been talking a lot of golf here, but this is a movie that has universal themes, I think, that will appeal to you even if you've never picked, like me, never picked up a golf club. I want to talk to you about playing golf with Ian Fleming. You played him in a movie, and then you got to play golf with him. Well, I, I, it was, it was, um, I played, I know, I played Ian Fleming in a, in a film with Kristen Scott Thomas, uh, who's a lovely actress, and David Warner and Patricia Hodge, and ha- I had a, a really lovely time. It was slightly tongue in cheek. I mean, I think Freud would have had a field day with me playing <laughs> Ian Fleming and, and the uh, man who created James, James Bond, Bond, who your father played, played yes, and yeah, 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 and him being my father and <laughs> me playing his creator. It's like, um, uh, but. Um, yeah, my uh, Ian Fleming was uh, was a uh, was a really interesting man. I mean, I, I read up a lot on him before playing him, and uh, you know, he had a really diverse life. And ironically, I think he desperately wanted to be successful, and then uh, he created something that was enormously successful. And but he wasn't really successful. You know right. what I mean? It's almost like a Doctor Frankenstein right. situation. Um, uh, his brother, his older brother, was much more. Uh, known in the in he was in the banking world, the Fleming Bank, and his mother and father were huge socialites, and I and he was always trying to create sort of a mystique about himself, and he had uh, a gang called Le Cirque, and they bought a church, 
church and they used to play cards and 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 drink and he wanted to create this idea of this these people that were slightly off and untouchable and yes. uh, and as i say he 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 created james bond as we all know and 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 it, and that overtook in a way everything he, everything yeah. Yeah. well but when you were shooting that movie didn't you shoot it at the same location? That's right. Yeah, we, tell me we, that, that story. I, and I had no idea, and, yeah. and it was actually a, a guy that worked there, and and he came up to me, and, and I was shooting a scene that we were pretending that this golf club was called Stoke Poges in London, in, just outside London, was a uh, Portuguese casino. And uh, at a certain point, Ian Fleming was working uh, undercover as a spy right. uh, during the war. And I was there with uh, Chris and Scott Thomas, who plays my girlfriend in, in the film, and, and we were doing a scene. And this guy came up to me and he said, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted you. I'm not sure if you're aware, but if you come outside, I would like to show you something. And he showed me this um, statue uh, and he said, this is where your father shot Goldfinger and the whole scene with the golf ball where, you know, he accuses uh, 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 a Goldfinger of cheating in, in essence. Uh, and, um, and then odd job where my father gives the ball back, crushes the ball and then throws his hat, which has a metal rim, and it takes the head off the statue. Of course, that's still there. And he showed it to me and he said, I had to keep putting the the head back on after the <laughs> after the shot and uh, it it's it's one of those sort of circles of life um and uh, uh it was great it was it was a really lovely moment i have to say the film is called tommy's honor it's in theaters right now we just have a minute left uh, what do you hope people walk away from is it uh historical is it emotional is it about the love of golf for you personally what do you hope people think when they leave the theater well, we've had some fantastic conversations I've had with people. Um, you know, I took it to festivals and things, and as you say, we won the BAFTA, which was a, which was a fantastic night. Um, I mean, whenever you tell a story, for me anyway, it's about people being invested in the people that they're seeing and hopefully come away having had an, a, an experience. You know, um, these are real people, and I hope that I've done them justice. And I hope that, you know, something my father said, actually, which was really a lovely moment for me. He saw it at the Bahamian Film Festival. And um, afterwards, he said to me, you know, as soon as the film started, I felt like I was in the world, mm -hmm. that I was part of it, and I was immersed in the story. And to me, that's as good as it gets. That's Jason Connery talking about his film, Tommy's Honor. It's a golf movie. I know probably what you're thinking. If you're not a golfer, if you don't watch golf on television, you're thinking, who cares? Who cares about the fathers of the modern game? Well, I'll tell you that like all good sports movies, Tommy's Honor isn't just about the golf. It's not just about the sport. It's about universal themes. It's about a class structure that helped keep the lower classes out of the game. It's about... Um, father and son. It's about things that everyone can relate to on some level. If you look past the golf balls and the tees and the clubs, you'll find something here that relates to your life. I guarantee it. My thanks to everybody that stopped by today. Michael Rooker, thanks so much. Yondu, Jason Connery, coming by to talk about Tommy's Honor. Thank you very much. Most of all, though, thanks to you for coming by every single week. We put up a new show every single Monday. It's always our pleasure to have you come by. Swing by, knock on the door. If the door opens, come on in and sit a spell with us. 
pull up a seat at the bar, pour yourself a Negroni, and enjoy the conversations as they fly through the air. And keep coming back. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit, and who knows, it just might be one of your favorite people.